Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word today, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through it, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see you once again, Lord, and guide us in the truth, in your truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John the Baptist was one of the most interesting people in Scripture. He was a prophet of God, and prophets of God were always interesting, usually what we would call eccentric. They had a calling and an anointing from God that put them out there, and that was the way that God used them to get the attention of others. Prophets answered directly to God. In the Old Testament, they kept kings and priests and the people of God accountable with God's word. And John was no different. And that would eventually cost him his head. John the Baptist was the son of a priest named Zechariah. And Zechariah, when he was serving in the temple, was given an astonishing message by the angel Gabriel about his future son. And after that son was born, at his circumcision, the mute Zachariah, who was struck mute because he asked for proof of what the angel said was going to happen, spoke again. He spoke a mighty prophecy from God of what God would do with his son John. And I'm sure after all of that, all the eyes in that city would have been on young John. He would have been perhaps the equivalent of a modern day royal heir in the eyes of the people. But reaching manhood, John suddenly left the public eye and went out to live in the wild, depending on no one but God, wearing camel's hair and having a diet of locusts and wild honey in the wilderness. When John reappeared on the scene, he was immediately recognized as a prophet by the people, and that brought a lot of excitement because Though prophets had been prevalent in Israel's history, they, they had been scarce of late. In fact, Israel hadn't had a recognized prophet for 400 years. Still, because of their recorded history that was read often, they knew what a prophet was, and John clearly was one. Malachi had been Israel's last prophet, and it is interesting that the book of Malachi finishes by prophesying the coming of John the Baptist called Elijah before the coming day of the Lord, who would prepare the way for the Lord. And in Luke 1, when the angel that spoke to John's father, Zechariah, as he was ministering in the temple that time, he had said of his son yet to be born that he would go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. And Jesus himself later on confirmed that John was indeed the Elijah who was to come, referred to by Malachi. Jesus said that in Matthew eleven fourteen. The passage in Malachi said that the coming day of the Lord would not be good for those who did not fear God. It said this, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up. It will leave them neither root nor branch. Yet it also said to those who feared God, it was to be a good day, saying this in verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now I want to look for a moment at that term, the son of righteousness. It is capitalized in my New King James Version of the Bible because it refers to a person, to the person Jesus specifically, who would heal those who feared God in that day when he would arise. And of course, Jesus did that. Jesus was a healer when he, in his ministry on earth, and the Gospels are filled with Jesus's healings and deliverances. It is also interesting that the term son of righteousness can be seen as related to the term dayspring in the song of Zechariah, the prophetic message that was given by John's father about John and about Jesus Christ as well at the time of John the Baptist's circumcision. Zechariah, his father, prophesied this. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the dayspring from on high has visited us. The term dayspring means dawning light. But the dawning light in Zechariah's song is not coming from the earth's horizon. Instead, it was coming from on high or from heaven. And that dawning light or son of righteousness we know is Jesus. It is God incarnate. Remember what John 1 said about Jesus, the word. It said, in him was life and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. It goes on, John 1, verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, speaking about John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. That was John's mission, John the Baptist's mission, 
revealing the Son of Righteousness from the Old Testament, who would arise with healing in his wings, and is the same as the dayspring in the New Testament, who is Jesus, that light from heaven that was dawning on the earth as John's father Zechariah had prophesied, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And what was the God-ordained process for that to happen? Knowledge of salvation was to come to God's people by the remission of their sins. John's ministry was to preach a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins so that the revelation of Jesus through whom salvation would ultimately come would come to them. Now the significance doesn't stop there. That same light, the Son of Righteousness of the Old Testament, who would come with healing in his wings, would do something else. He would burn up the wicked when that day came. And that is why it was to be such a great and dreadful day. It is great for those who fear God. It is dreadful for those who do not. The same son who came to heal those who feared God was coming to burn those who did not. That was John's message about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Luke 3, 16 to 17. So the same healer of Malachi is also a refining and consuming fire. In Malachi 3, the pre-incarnate Jesus says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. He continued, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. That is said to those who do not fear God. I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me. For I am the Lord, I do not change. That same light, Jesus, who came to heal and to forgive, came to the Pharisees and the lawyers in the temple who did not fear him. And he said this to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, 
you will die in your sins. Those words burn, don't they? What did he mean by their not believing, I am he? He meant that they didn't believe that he is the one who Isaiah and Malachi and the other Old Testament prophets spoke about. And why did they not believe? Jesus in Luke 7 said it was because they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. In other words, they refused to confess their sins and to repent of their sins. When God, through John, told them they had to. In that way, they would have prepared themselves for the coming one. But they refused to humble themselves and give up their sin. In fact, they even said that John had a demon, this Holy One who was sent by God with his word. John the Baptist rightly identified himself as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord from Isaiah 40. That same chapter in Isaiah says, the Lord of glory shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. It says, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That was to be John's job prophesied way back in the Old Testament. And that is what John did. He knew that was him. That was the calling that he was given, calling God's people to confession and repentance and pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle John records John the Baptist saying this of Jesus, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Well, back to Isaiah 40, it goes on in verse 10, saying, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. What a picture of Jesus that is. And John the Baptist was the main one to point Jesus out, to point out Jesus's coming and to point to him. Of course, there were others. We can think of the shepherds, of course, this in this season and the wise man. 
And there was Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus was circumcised. But John was the one who was given that role from the Old Testament scripture. And when he was alone in the desert, the word of God came to him. What was that word of God? It was that he should go and preach a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, for the revelation of Jesus Christ, through whom salvation would ultimately come. And John obeyed that word, of course. He went into all the regions around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, a public act admitting sin, admitting wrongdoing and making a statement of hope and effort to amend one's life, looking ahead to Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Repentance and baptism were done believing on him who would come after, that is Jesus Christ. And John warned the people not to count on their religion or count on their Abrahamic heritage for favor with God, though it was obviously from God, it wasn't enough for their salvation. Because of their sin, he warned them that axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's heavy stuff. But the people heard John for the most part and repented the Spirit convicting them. Now the strange thing you might consider is that the Jews already had a God-given religious system in place for remission of sins. And probably everyone except for the outlaws and outcasts in the land adhered to that system. The people made both voluntary and mandatory burnt offerings for the remission of sins. So it would seem that John, under the direction of God, would be stirring up some doubt about that system. But that was not the case, because there were some sins that the sacrificial offerings did not cover. The offerings covered unintentional sin only. They did not cover intentional sins, and there lie the problem. If one sinned intentionally against another, retribution was required. Retribution would be demanded if the person was caught and convicted. But what if they were not caught? What if they hid their sin well? That's when God's judgment would come down on them. You see, there had been no simple forgiveness because someone always has to pay for the sin when the sin is between two people. And some, I'm sure, could not even afford retribution, which in that society would mean servitude or slavery. So here at the time of Jesus' coming, you can imagine how much secret and unconfessed sin was being covered up and carried around in the form of guilt by all these people. 
that no sacrifice was ever put in place for. It couldn't be put in place because that would have encouraged the people to sin if a much smaller sacrifice could have taken care of it. If they could always make a cheaper sacrifice for sin, then God's grace would have been presumed upon. And I'm sure it still was even then as people would lie to themselves that their sin was not intentional when it actually had been. But God meant for repentance to be a very big part of that religion. Next to his mercy, the biggest part. Repentance had always been a part of Israel's religion and retribution was to be the tool of that, that represented that repentance. If retribution was not given, then they would be cut off from God's people, outlaws with no protection from God or from the law. Enter John, offering a perfect solution for outlaws through Jesus, outlaws which everyone was. John offered a baptism of repentance, looking ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus that had not yet been offered on earth, that would pay for all. Remember, John said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why it's no wonder that people came to John in droves. That was the only way for their forgiveness. Someone else would pay for their sins for them. The only one who could. The only one who was holy and infinite. All they had to do was confess and repent. Humbling, yes. Would admitting sin lower others' opinion of you? Normally it would, but all the benefits, forgiveness of sins, revelation of Jesus, the benefits far outweigh that. I suppose these people came to John and confessed their sins to him personally. And I suppose he told them of the coming Christ, the permanent sacrifice for sin to look toward as he baptized them, thus giving them a fresh start and preparing the way for Jesus. Well, today we look back to Jesus' sacrifice, which paid for our sins, intentional and unintentional. But we have a similar issue with intentional sins as those people had before John came. Without retribution, there would be judgment. Confession and repentance, looking to Jesus' sacrifice, took care of that for them. Why would we think that it would be any different for us? Yes, we confess and say that we repent of our sins corporately each week in church. They did it individually. But do we really mean what we say? Do we allow the Lord to reveal our sin first and when he does, confess 
it and repent of it. The writer of Hebrews says this, If we willfully sin after we have received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but certain expectation of judgment. Hebrews 10.26 That sounds very harsh, but it's not if we've already been given knowledge of the truth and continue to sin. It's not if the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin and we've refused to repent. Would some people ever repent if that was not the case? Would some not presume on God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice and go on sinning if there were no consequences? It may not mean hell, but I wouldn't want to be the one testing it out. If the Holy Spirit reveals sin in your life to you, confess it and repent of it before judgment happens. Even refusing to forgive someone when God says that you must is that kind of sin. That's why Jesus could say, if you do not forgive, neither will, you, will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You don't want that. Don't hurt yourself. As the writer of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Isn't it great that we don't have to? All we have to do is confess our sins and repent and look to Jesus Christ's sacrifice. He did the rest. John the Baptist's message comes to us in the same way as it came to them back then. It is the message of the Holy Spirit. Confess your sins, repent of your sins today. Prepare to meet Jesus in that way. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we never want to presume on your grace. Lord, we want to look at all that you've done for us, Lord, in great humility. Lord, we adore you for that. We adore you for paying for our sins. And Lord, may we honor you, Lord. May we honor that sacrifice by yielding to your Holy Spirit each time that you point some sin out that is in our lives. May we thank you for pointing it out and be quick to confess and repent it, looking to you for forgiveness and thanking you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.